Welcome to the Five Leadership Questions podcast brought to you by Ministry Grid. Ministry Grid is an online church leadership and volunteer training platform offering a library of over 3,000 video sessions as well as other resources which provide practical training for every ministry area of your church. Find out more and get started today at ministrygrid.com. Now, enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a longtime second guest. I, I, I yeah, don't he was even on know. episode 48. That's that was like three many, years many ago. Moons ago. Three years. It, it, it feels like 30. I don't know about for you guys. It does. So he's, the, if you don't remember, he's the founder and CEO of Charity Water, uh, which is a nonprofit that provides clean water to. 663 million people worldwide. Kudos to you, sir. I know it didn't start out that way, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and the different water projects. But I mean, honestly, uh, he does have a new book coming out that's called "Thirst: A Story of Redemption, Compassion, uh, and Mission to Bring Clean Water to the World." And I think we talked about this on uh, the first episode where we were together. Um, clean water's passion of mine too, and. Uh, helped work with uh, starting a, uh, a well service in D.C. that's called Last Well. It's still going, um, but it's only in one country. It's Liberia, and the idea was to get clean water to one country. But, man, the water problem is insane. What do you want people to know about water, Scott? Well, I, I guess I want them to even imagine for a moment what their life would be like if they didn't have clean water. You know, for, for us here and probably for almost everyone listening, it is just something we take for granted. You know, we were born into a world, we were born into the nine tenths, the 90% of the world where, you know, water for us is, is so plentiful that we buy bottled water. I mean, we don't even need to, you know, we, <laughs> we market this thing. Uh, we take long showers. We just we have no idea what it would be like to drink from a uh, a brown viscous swamp or a, a pond you know, filled with you know, hartsia and, and and disease. We have no idea what it would be like to walk five hours in the hot sun carrying forty pounds of dirty water. And yeah, you know, that's really how, as you said, six hundred sixty three million people are living. So one out of every ten people alive has never known what it's like to be us. They've never known what it's like to actually taste clean water. Wow. And, you know, it, it's interesting now, 12 years into the issue, and, you know, I've, I've gotten to travel to 69 countries, and I've been to Ethiopia 30 separate times since, since actually getting my start in Liberia. And it's, I've only been more and more convinced that this is one of the most important things we can do if we care about improving the quality of life if we care about helping people be healthy and thrive this is the starting place and and you know water means health water means improved education water means improved local economies as as uh, when you can bring clean water to a village and and restore that time back to the women and girls they turn that time into money uh, it, it's just this amazing thing that, uh, once you don't have it, your life is really, uh, heavily compromised. But when you do have it for the first time, the, the benefits are, you know, are extraordinary. 
Scott, I can't even imagine, I mean, just with the few examples that you shared there, it reminds me of this CBC um, documentary now for all non-Canadians, that's the Canadian Broadcasting Company. <laughs> it's kind of like National <laughs> Public Radio, but uh, the CBC, I saw this documentary on what the world would look like uh, without as much, you know, without the kind of access to water that we have and uh, actually showed city living. I think they were showing what Singapore would look like uh, in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years if we kept on going and just uh, the the technological advancements that they that you would have to create to be able to sustain the kind of water consumption that we currently have all the recycling, all the water that needs to happen. Uh, and then they and then they interviewed this lady, I think she was in New Zealand, who is saying, hey, I'm going to live as if, uh, in New Zealand, I'm going to live as if, you know, water is scarce. And all the ways that she was recycling and doing the dishes, and it's just like, man, we waste so much water. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, a lot of people don't actually know how little water is available Um you know, for, for consumption. So, you know, the, the planet everybody knows is 70% water, only two and a half percent of that water is fresh water, right? And the rest is saline and ocean based. Um, but only 0.007% of all the water on the planet is usable for us. Oh my goodness. 0.007%. Like without um, so much of that, uh, no, just would be clean water. So, oh, so okay. much of the, so much of the, the, water, right? So if 70% is salt water, but two and a half percent is fresh. So much of that is trapped in glaciers and in, in snow fields. So there's just not that much water, uh, on the planet. And there's the same amount of water now as there was a hundred years ago. Hmm. Uh, so we, you know, but our population has been growing. So I think the good news about the issue, you know, probably the last time I was talking to you guys, it was probably 800 million people without clean water. And when I started, it was a billion people without clean water. So despite all that, we're actually making significant progress. The, the number has been almost halved in the last uh, 13 years mm. or so, even though population is growing. So there's been a greater awareness around water. There's been more money, more resources being allocated towards this important issue. But we're still a tenth of the planet away from where we need to be. Yeah. One out of every 10 people. So, so it's been three years since you've been on. How has Charity Water grown? Uh, yeah. And what obstacles have you faced? That's interesting. When I, when I would have come on three years ago, we would have uh, just had our first down year, meaning our, our first bad year, our first year where we didn't grow. Uh, the first eight years of the organization, uh, if you drew the chart, it was just astonishing, you know, hold on kind of uh, lightning growth. You know, we grew 400% uh, in the first three years when charitable give, giving in America was actually net negative by 8%. Mm. So it just, it just came out of the gates, went really hard and fast for eight years. Uh, in our eighth year, we did 45 million bucks. And then our ninth year, uh, we shrunk. And, and part of that had to do with the markets. We had a couple huge donors, not repeat at all, um, go from multi-million dollar gifts to zero as their company laid off employees and as their stocks uh, effectively tanked. But it, it felt terrible because we went from giving a million human beings clean water in our eighth year to 800,000 in our ninth year. And, hmm. and I'm, I'm going to kind of tell this story because there was a leadership lesson in this. And I, I really, well, I, I almost quit, you know, to be quite honest, I had this existential crisis. I thought it was all my fault. Um, our numbers are not 
revenue for shareholders. Our numbers are not bigger houses or bigger cars. Our numbers are human lives attached. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I actually felt like I let down 200,000 people because we hadn't been able to repeat uh, or even, you know, repeat and grow the year's prior, uh, success of a million people served. So I wound up saying, Hey, maybe it's time to step aside. You know, I've worked really hard for nine years. Let's bring in a professional CEO to find the next, um, growth curve for the organization. And you know, this was in Q4. So I, I, wind up calling all my board members, eight board members and telling them that I want to start a CEO search. And then I tell my exec team and, you know, in short, they said, stop whining and get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Q4. We're certainly not going to let you start a, a distracting CEO search, you know, during fundraising season. But uh, why don't you take a month out? You know, you're, you're clearly burned out. Why don't you go think about it and, you know, come back after taking January off and, and see how you feel. And I actually, um, actually went out to, to Redding, California. A friend had given us a beautiful house uh, up on, uh, on a cliff, effectively, looking at Mount Shasta Lake. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was looking to get refreshed and, you know, a, a time of rest and, spiritually refreshed, go to church a bunch. I had a bunch of friends out there at a church called Bethel. And, and, uh, it turns out that when we get there, uh, California receives more rain in that month than it had in 30 years. So here I am at the top of this, wow. at the, the cliff, I'm in a 10 bedroom house that a donor has generously given to myself, my wife, and, um, our, our little guy. Uh, and we're in our own weather system. It starts hailing the house starts leaking. I mean, we're, we're taking buckets to catch the water. You know, it was like a metaphor for, for my life. Wow. We, we couldn't even see the lake. <laughs> I mean, it was, we saw clouds every day and you know, a long story short in that time, in that month, I just started thinking about the business and leadership and, uh, and, and instead of whining or complaining about the down year, uh, why not try and fix it? Why not mm. pivot the organization. Why not reinvent, reinvent or reimagine charity water? So I talked to my dad during that time and, you know, he said, son, well, did you compromise your values in any way during your down year? And I said, no. And in fact, outside of revenue, outside of donations, it was actually the most successful year, uh, for a number of other things, sustainability of our projects, the transparency, um, our staff, uh, retention was the highest. It was, it was a great year except for money. And I wound up coming back, not quitting and saying, okay, well, I certainly have to finish the 10th year, right? He can't quit in year 10 and let me see if I can solve this problem. And, and I got really excited about pivoting Charity Waters donation revenue model from the one-time fundraising campaigns that we had been known for people donating their birthdays and, you know, running marathons or, you know, hiking up mountains, um, that had raised, you know, over $50 million for clean water. But I said, well, what if we could, what if we could copy the Netflix model or the Spotify model? What if we could build an innovative subscription program for good? And instead of people doing one birthday, instead of them cruising by our website and dropping a hundred dollars once, what if we could get them to show up month in, month out, month in, month out, um, build this amazing community, show them the impact of where 100% of their money was going, 
and 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 build a, a very different kind of, of organization. And that's what we did. So we came back and we built that. We launched it at the end of year 10. We called it spring. And uh, that led to 40% growth the next year. And you know, so far this year, you know, we're up 50% at the mid-year. And it, it's really, really been working. Man, I, so I have two questions. And then I'll throw it back to Todd. The first, and so the second question, which we'll get to later, is about um, the the donations and going to the recurring. Because I know we have a lot of listeners who are either support raising themselves or they work in parachurch organizations. So I think your answer to that end would be very helpful. But but before we get there, um, as you were going through this this moment where you know you took a month off and you went to California and you were just having this moment of of stepping away from everything after being full on, full in. I mean, you started Charity Water, you were there. I mean, it was like your blood, sweat and tears all the way through. I mean, what did you learn during that time that is going to help you the next time if you have another down year? Like what, what are kind of those lessons that you are bringing forward? Well, not every business or organization goes up into the right forever. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think, I think I was probably the last person to figure this out because we'd, we'd only known growth. We'd only known, you know, crazy year over year, consistent growth. And, uh, you know, I, I wound up, uh, you've heard of crossing the chasms or, uh, you know, Jim Collins has talked about this in some of his books. I mean, organizations hit points where what got you here will not get you there. Yeah. You know, what, what, and, and for us, that was a decade. It was a perfect decade. Um, the fundraising product that we had basically became so widely adopted by other organizations. It just became a commodity. Mm. And, and, you know, it was interesting. I, I knew the writing was on the wall when heifer international, right? I mean, heifer sell goat and sheep in gift catalogs to people. Heifer writes me asking me to donate my birthday to heifer. I'm like, ah, we were the first to do that. Like we, <laughs> like we invented that, you know, 10 years ago. And, um, you know, it's funny. I had, I had, uh, <laughs> pitched the idea to one of the Facebook founders, uh, of, of Facebook adopting birthdays at large and turning it into this powerful fundraising juggernaut. And, uh, I'd, I'd done it at a bar and on the, on the back of a napkin, you know, I wrote out some of the language that Facebook should use. And he gave me a $50,000 donation for the idea. And it took Facebook about 10 years to act on that idea. And now it's a huge, huge thing. Oh yeah. They're doing it the now. Platform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My so, birthday's uh, coming you know, up. I'm seeing I, I that sold, on my I profile. Sold it, I sold it for 50 grand a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, so when it comes to, I mean, what would you say to individuals who are support raising or other, um, you know, parachurch organizations or nonprofits that rely on, on, on fundraising? What would you, uh, what advice would you tell them about the whole recurring uh, side yeah. of things? Well, first of all, I think I would just acknowledge that it's incredibly difficult. Fundraising is hard. Uh, it, it, you know, it only gets harder. I mean, this year, you know, we're, we're going to raise 65, maybe $70 million. It is so much harder now than it ever was. So it's, it's not something that necessarily, you know, you're like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to get through this hard point, but then fundraising is going to be really easy. I mean, it's still a challenge. Um, asking for money is, is a difficult thing. So, 
you know, all the things that we've learned about what works, it's, it's storytelling, it's people giving to people, it's people um, giving to those that align with their values. It's casting these, you know, these statements of, you know, putting out your why, you know, we believe in a world where everyone has clean water to drink. We believe in a movement of generosity and compassion and empathy, uh, you know, a community of people who want to end the needless suffering of others. Um, you know, that's the, the, for us, I think what's worked so well is this, so many charities use shame and guilt to manipulate people into giving. And we've tried to offer opportunity and hope. And, you know, we think this is an invitation. I mean, we are throwing the greatest party the world has ever seen every day in, you know, in villages where people are getting clean water for the first time in their lives. So I think I would say, you know, A, fundraising is hard. You know, B, recurring is, is always better than a one-time gift. And look, I think the sponsor of child organizations did this really well many years ago. And, and, you know, it's certainly not that novel, uh, to ask donors to support a cause or, or a person, uh, through their ministry monthly. But um, how it you just guys wasn't something we'd ever done. Though? Well, I think the 100% model is gives us a, a unique advantage. So uh, the average of the program is about $30 a month, which is what it costs us to give one person clean water. But when people give $30 a month or $10 a month or $100 a month in the spring, every single penny goes directly to build water projects and give people clean water. We even pay back the credit card fees. And this, this, this actually astonishes people when they think about it. But if you signed up for a hundred dollars a month on your American express card, I actually don't get a hundred dollars a month. We get $97 a month. And you could say, well, we would never expect charity water to send more of my money to the field than they actually received. I was the one that used the credit card. And we actually do. We make up that $3, that 3%, and we send the full $100 to the field. So I think that's been a competitive advantage when people know that if they have 10 a month or 30 a month or $100 a month, they know it is all going there. There's no overhead attached to that. Um, there's actually even more money going out than we received. Um, what we've tried to do is you know, now, now the spring members have reached a uh, hundred different countries. We just added our hundredth country in the community a couple of weeks ago. And we've tried to make people feel like they really are a part of a generous community, a community who cares about others. We've been, uh, and, and this is slightly risky, I guess, from a resource standpoint, but we've been sending film crews out to different countries, making exclusive content, <clears throat> only for them. So we sent a team to Cambodia to shoot a series of videos of impact only for 20,000 members. You know, Charity Waters wow. had over a million donors, but we said, you know, if you give monthly, one thing we can give you back is stories of impact, letting you know the, the people's lives you're changing around the world. And actually the local partners, the hydrologists, the diggers, the technicians, the drivers, the foremen and forewomen, these are, these are the stories that we're trying to, to bring alive. So that, that's all, that's all been working for us so far. And we, you know, we continue to think we can approve it and, and, and do better. Very cool. And, and you've answered this question. This is our third question. You've kind of answered this a little bit um, so far, but talk to us more specifically about growing pains of moving from a startup to an established organization? Oh, so many. Um, 
you know, I, I had never worked in a company before. So I think, you know, I was a nightclub promoter working at 40 nightclubs for 10 years. Then I was a humanitarian photojournalist in Liberia for, you know, and, and West Africa for a couple of years. And then I came back to start an organization. So in, in so many ways, I was uniquely unqualified to raise a, you know, a third of a billion dollars for clean water or, you know, or run any sort of organization. Um, and, and what I would hope people would get from the book, you know, as they read thirst, I actually hope that idea would inspire other people. I mean, because, you know, chances are whatever your dreams are to live a life of purpose and, and, and find greater meaning in your life, you're definitely worse off than I was. I mean, I was addicted to cocaine and ecstasy and MDMA. Uh, I smoked three packs of two to three packs of cigarettes for 10 years. I had a serious gambling problem, a drinking problem, a pornography problem, a strip club problem. I mean, I had, I, it was a life of degenerate vice. And, you know, for those that don't know my story, I, I radically came back to a very lost Christian faith and a lost morality. I quit everything and asked myself, what would the exact 180 degree opposite of my life look like, which led me to this life of service. But, I, you know, I do think uh, you don't need to be qualified. And, you know, the growing pains, I mean, I, I remember bringing in executive coaches to help form our first executive team. And we were just a bunch of, I don't want to say kids, but we didn't know what it was like to be an executive, to lead that next level of then VPs and then directors. And, you know, we just, we learned all this as we went along. It was reading books. It was watching others. It was getting mentors and coaches and professional development. Uh, there are so many, there were so many staff growing pains. I actually write a lot, um, about the, the, the we were on the brink of insolvency. Uh, there was, you know, people, people know charity water from the hundred percent model and, and they, they just take that for granted uh, as if it's easy, but it's, it's extraordinarily difficult. We have to raise all of our staff money, our office support, you know, the flights that our team takes to, to fly around to 26 countries where our projects are and, and develop these programs and audit these programs. All of that's raised separately. And, you know, I, I talk in the book about, you know, the times that it just, we almost, we also went bankrupt. And there were, there's a moment where we were, we were, um, offered the chance, I suppose, to compromise our integrity and actually betray, slightly betray that public promise mm. to keep solvent, to keep the organization alive. And, you know, I made the decision that we would go bust before compromising a shred of our integrity. And we were, we were going to dissolve charity water. This is eight years ago. There was going to be no more charity water because we just couldn't pay for, you know, our few staff at the time. And, you know, I remember praying, uh, with, with very little faith, you know, for any sort of, you know, funding miracle, we were completely tapped out, but yet we had almost a million dollars in the water bank account that we couldn't touch. It was so frustrating. Imagine not making payroll, uh, imagine not being able to pay your staff or your office rent, but yet having a million dollars that you can't touch. Yeah. And at that moment, uh, really on the brink, a complete stranger walked in the office, uh, sat with me for two hours, learned about the organization and then wired a million dollars into the overhead account. We went from almost insolvent to 13 months wow. of 
of funding to see if we could actually wow. figure out this, this business model and figure out how to sustain it. And today there are 130 families from uh, all around the world that pay for the overhead and that's given a million plus donors and supporters a way to, to give in the purest way where hundred percent of their money goes. But, you know, it wasn't always easy in there. You know, there's, there's, there was a huge lawsuit that people don't know about that I, that I talk about in the book. And, you know, we, we were actually sued by, by, um, an entity that didn't want us to exist. I mean, there's, there's, there's guns and drugs and lawsuits and, uh, there's, there's some crazy stories that I've never really been able to tell before publicly that, you know, in the form of a, of a long narrative, um, I really wanted to put out there. Mm. So we're ministry grid, the five leadership questions, podcast, lifeway leadership, newchurches.com. We're all one family, one brand, you know, kind of all together. And, and as, as a part of the five leadership questions podcast, we, we do a lot of leadership pipeline coaching. We do a lot of training and development with our conferences and all of that. And so we talk about leadership pipeline. We talk about raising up new leaders all the time with church leaders, with nonprofits. So uh, we, we were just, as we were drawing up the questions, we were just fascinated to, to, to kind of want, I, I actually, we just wanted to ask you, what, what does that look like in your organization? What does it look like for you to raise up new leaders to, do you guys have a leadership pipeline? Uh, and yeah, just what does that look like internally with your team uh, and also externally? Yeah, it's fun. We just promoted uh, something like 11 or 12 people in the organization uh, at the mid-year, uh, which is really exciting. So we are actively trying to trying to uh, develop leaders internally, um, you know, we found that our, our best people often come from within the organization. I mean, you know, we've, we've had interns rise to directors here, you know, with extraordinary amounts of responsibility. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're trying to send people to conferences. We're trying to get them coaching, um, you know, Seth Godin was just uh, generous enough to donate some of his, uh, all, MBA slots. And, um, you know, we've been putting a bunch of people through that and, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's two full jobs. So we are looking for ways to do that. And, you know, the, the, I'm pretty lucky to have an amazing exec team here. You know, our, our COO has been with the organization for seven and a half years. Our chief water officers is, is more than half a decade. Our CFO, um, our head of product. We just, we, we have, we have some really great leaders who, um, many of them have been homegrown here at charity water, but came from accomplished organizations and accomplished careers. Yeah. So then what does that look like as you, I mean, do you think about development when it comes to your donors as well, uh, in, in moving them up or, or even have you had instances where a passionate donor, a passionate fan, uh, actually, you know, you ended up hiring them and bringing them onto your team. <laughs> it's, it's funny. There are a couple people at the moment that we are considering doing that with. It's, it's interesting timing on that. Um, they, we, we have actually somebody who used to work at Apple as a senior leader and uh, isn't there anymore and, and is, is talking to us about a, a full-time job uh, and, and you know, how their skills could be really useful um, growing charity out on the West Coast. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not something we've done a lot of in, in the past, but it's actually something we're looking at right now. Yeah. So let's say someone were to join your team. What does that look like for them to learn the culture? What, what, how do you kind of develop them as new employees, as new, 
you know, ambassadors for you guys uh, from the get go? Well, we're really clear when, when we're interviewing, uh, about our, our values and our isms, uh, isms. This is kind of one of the more unique things about the organization. I mean, I think everybody has values, right? Enron had a value of, uh, I think it was integrity, uh, and, (laughs) and, and respect, right? So we, we, we do have our values and they'd, they'd be similar to what people might expect, but we also, um, have this whole category of isms. Um, so our values are integrity and respect and excellence, innovation, passion, and generosity. We have six of them, but our isms are a little more interesting, which is we know we're living out our values. We know our team members are living out our values when these things are happening. And, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. One is we don't ever use profanity at the organization. So we just have a zero tolerance for profanity. Now we have executives that are coming from Facebook, from uh, Amazon, from, you know, we, we have people coming from Twitter. I mean, we have people coming from, you know, a very, very different culture. Um, for those people not listening, Charity Water has never been a faith-based organization. So we uh, hire people of all faiths. We work with people of all faiths, both from a donor community and uh, out there in the field. Um, this was certainly burst out of my personal faith, uh, my personal Christian faith, which started the organization. But it's a very, very big tent um, that involves, uh, you know, people of myriad faith and, and none. So we really think that ties back to respect. You know, when we say we don't want anyone using profanity at the organization, you know, it's not because I want to feel like this overbearing parent. I just don't want to ever give anyone an excuse to say no. Right? We have tons and tons of kids that tour the office with their parents. We have uh, elementary schools walking through our headquarters. I don't want them to hear the F-bomb. You know, I don't want them to, to have any reason to be turned off to our organization or our culture. Um, we have another one that is, uh, you know, there's a no white lies policy. Uh, we always tell the truth and, you know, somebody here would be fired if, you know, it was a receptionist that said that the employee wasn't in that day if they were sitting next to them or if they were in, uh, you know, we have, we have zero tolerance for lying. Um, you know, I, I believe that if you tell the truth in the small things, then you tell the truth in the big things and, and that would tie up to integrity. So we have all these different, you know, we don't pirate software. We always license our music. You know, there, there's this whole list of, of things. So we're talking to new candidates. We've had people opt out. I mean, there's people that are like, you can't tell me how to speak. If I want to swear, I'm going to swear. Like, well, then just don't work here. You know, yeah. there's plenty of, plenty of companies where you can do that. So we really make sure people are clear about the culture of the organization, what to expect when they get here. Then we onboard them. We take them through the culture, the history, the story of the organization. They meet with a bunch of different teams to learn how Charity Water works, and then they start their job. Good deal. All right, I'm going to ask our last question. Uh, what, I, when, you know, I started the conversation before we hit record. I said, you know, we've, we've met before. We uh, did a live podcast with each other backstage at Catalyst, and um, I just remember, I mean, we're, about the same age. So when I read this book, it kind of reads almost like a, a memoir. But what's the second half of your life look like? What's the second half of if you're if if life is really about the legacy you want and living your life backwards, what do you want that to look like? 
Well, I have two young kids now. Uh, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home, and and I start thinking a lot about uh, about being a great dad and a great husband. And uh, you know, so I, I'd say if it was all work for ten years, if it was eighty-hour weeks and ninety-eight airplanes a year and one hundred and fifty speeches and just going really, really hard and and fast to build the thing just to make sure that the thing actually lived and and didn't die. Um, now, you know, in the second decade, it, it probably has a slightly different flavor. Um, I'm, I'm still traveling about 30% of the year, but when I'm home, I'm seeing my kids every morning and every night. I, I live seven minutes from our New York City office. Um, so we've decided to live in a much, much smaller apartment to be close to work so that I can take him to school every morning and pick him up some days. Uh, from, from the work, I'd like to personally help at least a hundred million human beings get access to clean water. I'd like to, to personally be involved in that. And we're at eight and a half million people. So we have a long way to go. That's eight and a half percent of, of kind of the you know, the minimum vision of impacting a hundred million lives on this planet for good, ending the suffering when it comes to dirty water for a hundred million people. So I, I want to continue to grow the organization. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been awesome to be, uh, to kind of have the tiger by the tail in, in years 11 and 12 and start this new decade, um, with the, hopefully the next acceleration of growth and scale. And, and, and again, this isn't about me or the team. This is really about the community of givers around the world. It's, it's about the charity water supporters who have, uh, rejected the apathy that would be so easy to embrace when it comes to uh, a paralyzing global issue like the global water crisis. But yet a million people plus have showed up. They've donated a birthday. They're showing every up every month in the spring. Some of them have sponsored a water project or given $100 or volunteered their time. And you know, then you look back and you say, wow, we've raised 320 some million dollars. We've helped eight and a half million people you know, we're, we're now helping over 3,500 people every single day get clean water for the first time in their lives. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a million and a half people this year alone for the first time in their lives. So I get really excited by that. That's the KPI. How, how do we get to 2 million people served a year and then 3 million people served and 4 million people? Man, love it. Thank you for the, the, organization that you're leading for the water that you're providing for the impact that you're making uh, in every single person's life, uh, not only those who are receiving the water, but those who are giving as well. Uh, so thanks. Thanks, Scott, for taking the time for, for being on the podcast with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I hope to see you in person again soon. Awesome. Absolutely. So he is Scott Harrison, the founder and CEO of Charity Water. Be sure to pick up a copy of his book, Thirst, a story of redemption, compassion, and a mission to bring clean water to the world, hitting bookstores uh, everywhere pretty soon. October. Yeah, yep, October. October 2nd. Awesome. And, and one thing I, I should say, you know, I'm, I'm not taking any money from the book. So I've given um, all the proceeds from my book advance over to Charity Water, um, all future proceeds of the book. So it, it's, it. I really wanted the project to be pure. So hopefully a lot of people get clean water from the book as well. Yeah, man. Let's make it a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. You can learn more about us at leadership.lifeway.com and see all the resources that we have there. Thanks again. 
Thank you for listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. To learn more about how you can train leaders in your church year-round, visit ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com.